BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. Jesus, did you uh, did you know that last week kicked off Hispanic Heritage Month? Does that come across your screen? Uh, I, may, I may have heard. I may have heard. <laughs> vaguely, vaguely familiar with this. Vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I thought it'd be kind of cool for um, this week to actually focus in on this idea of these sort of affinity months. And, you know, pros and cons on that, perspectives on that. And there's a wide assortment. And as an added benefit, <laughs> because these things can be controversial, and that's what the show is about, you know, as an added sort of little bonus, you and I and Black Brown, which is you know the shop behind this show, are sort of embroiled in a little bit of a mini controversy related to Hispanic Heritage Month. So it, it, it'll be an interesting conversation to have. And in order to facilitate that conversation, we thought we should invite an old friend of ours who is part of this whole, you know, certainly has a perspective on Hispanic Heritage Month, um, but can also uh, help us understand and walk through this little uh, uh, you know situation that we've gotten ourselves embroiled in. So is it cool if I uh, invite him in? Yep. Let's do it. So uh, I want to introduce Javier Farfan. Hav, what's going on? What's going on, Charlie Jesus? Long time. Long time. Been a minute. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a minute, but you know, it's always great to, to reconnect and, and kick it about, you know, subjects that we care about, right? We're just trying to move the human conscious forward in some form or fashion. And we're, and we're going to do it around this particular topic. I do the, I do the human part. Jesus does the consciousness part on the show. So <laughs> we, we, we got that piece covered. That's how we, that's how we tag team. Yeah. <laughs> so let me break it down for folks who, who may not be aware. So Javier, you've got, you're kind of one of the OGs in this whole world of um, kind of, you know, diversity marketing, content, creative, um, and you've been at this for a while, right? Um, got your start in management consulting and at Accenture. Actually, Jesus, that's just like you. You got your start there too. So, uh, and then you went on, you did Microsoft, you did Pepsi, you did Verizon, and now you're with the NFL. Yep. And, and, and the whole time you've had these sort of leadership roles, right? About um, trying to better understand ways to communicate with the way that the country's changing. And you and I, you know, all three of us, we've known each other for for quite a while, um, and and you've been kind of a thought leader in that space. So you're here as our, you know, obviously as a friend of the show, but as a resident expert to talk about this issue. So welcome, you know, welcome to the show. Yes, it's it's been a while. It's it's so funny to see my to hear myself as an OG already, right? Because you don't want to be that guy, <laughs> exactly. But I am that yeah. guy now, uh, you know. And and I've I, we've gone through it, all three of us generations of this stuff so we've seen it in and out so definitely excited to have that conversation because i do think that there is a pivot going on 
you know, in our community. And I could actually say that I do feel some impact of it, but you know, um, let's see, let's see where the industry goes with it. But that's the conversation, right? And how about, I just, I didn't realize that you also, Scott, your career started at Accenture. See, so nothing we have in common. I don't, I don't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Where, where were you based out of? I was based out of New York, New York. And I, and I was on the, the media and entertainment practice, um, straight out of grad school. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was a consultant for a couple of years. I mean, look, I did that. And, um, at the same time, you know, it was great opportunity. I came out of Columbia and they recruited me right out of school. And then after that, um, it wasn't my passion though. You know what I mean? I, I learned a lot of business acumen out of it, but while that was happening, I was starting a hip hop magazine with a group of friends of mine from New York city. And that's where the desire of marketing, the desire of understanding culture came out of. And then I applied my business acumen with kind of my street hustle and my career kind of launched from there. That's, yeah, that's super interesting. Well, I had a very different one because I started engineering and that's why I was graduating out of undergrad and went right into uh, the, tech, the tech sector of uh, Accenture up in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Got it, got it. See, both, both of you guys are really academically very well suited, though. I, you know, I went to like a super state school, you know, terrible kind of university experience. You guys are like UCLA, Columbia. I've got some experience with Columbia because I go to Bogota every now and again. <laughs> better food, Charlie. Better food. <laughs> hey, better food, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. So, all you kind of all you Ivy Leaguers, um, what a missed opportunity, though, have for that kind of culture piece that was being born at Accenture to not be embraced by Accenture. You could have built out a whole practice there. They probably weren't hip to that at the time. They were not hip to it, and it's so funny. Like fifteen years later, I get a call from Accenture about that, something very similar. They were developing some practice in that, but you know, the stars didn't align, so so I didn't go down that path. But it was funny that. Well, I think I think the economic stars didn't align either. Right now, they, they they're looking at us going, "Hey, you know what? There's some money in this brown people business. Let's let's uh let's call let's call let's figure it out. Let's call who's who's been in, who's been inside the halls before. Maybe they've know something. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's funny. All right. So let me set the stage, you guys, because I'm going to do a little history with you. Okay. So Hispanic Heritage Month, which we're in. I was on a call just last week and uh, this one super sweet lady and she was like, um, so Hispanic Heritage Month. She's like, is that is that now? Is that in October? Is what, What's going on? I was like, no, it's both. It actually is this weird straddling of two months, right? The middle of September to the middle of October. A lot of people don't know anything about this. I'm going to give you two seconds of the history, okay? Just so we can get grounded in the facts. So this actually started as Hispanic Week back in 1968. This was a motion that was put forward by a guy in LA. Got to give props to our Angelino brothers. Guy named Edward Roybal, who basically put forward a bill that was, um, you know, uh, went through Congress, et cetera, to honor... Uh, you know, the history, culture, and achievements of, of the Latino people, essentially, even though we w- weren't calling it that then. And he put this forward, but it was a week that was signed into law by Lyndon Johnson. And then in 1988, there was that week was expanded to a month by legislation that was also sponsored by a congressperson, this time from, te- uh, from also from California. And then um, it was signed into law as a federally recognized thing by Ronald Reagan. Now, everybody 
leading up to that, just as an interesting side note, was a Democrat, right? The original idea came from a Democrat. The president who signed it into a weekly law was a Democrat. The person who kicked it up to become a month was a Democrat. But the person who signed it into law was Ronald Reagan. And I always think that's kind of that's interesting. Now, the, the, the last thing I'll say about this is there's been some controversies around this. And, you know, they kind of revolve around two things. One is, hey, it's cool that we've got this, right? We got this moment of recognition, et cetera, and that's good because we're paying attention. But the other, the flip side of that argument, which has led to some of this tension is, yeah, but now we've got a place that that's the place that, that people only think about us. And then you've got all of these sort of um, maybe stereotypes that get expressed uh, in a variety of different ways, marketing, content, et cetera, around this thing. And so in the end, it's kind of helped to set us back instead of move us forward. That's sort of the dynamic that's at play with this whole idea of, um, of Hispanic Heritage Month. So we've got that kind of in the background. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'd love your thoughts and either one of you, but Jesus, you may, you may want to, you know, go first in terms of like when you think about Hispanic Heritage Month, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? It's a, I think it's a love-hate relationship, honestly. Yeah, I think the way you framed it is probably a good way to think about it. It's on the one hand, you know, we fought as a community for so long just to be seen, just to be recognized, that it's nice to get recognized, right? Uh, so that's good. The, the challenge with it, and I think it's actually very similar dynamic that the LGBTQ community deals with when it comes to Pride Month, is that these communities tend to feel only important or only seen during a very specific window. And then the rest of the time is they're not, they're kind of in the background, right? Um, and that's the downside of it, I think, that, that people will see of it. The good side of it, of course, is if these can become a moment of change, a moment of, of, a, of a launch, something bigger than just a specific month, that just is a very short, specific window. It's a broader initiative, right? I know we talk about this all the time, this whole idea that, hey, let's actually think about elevating how we think about diversity to the very beginning of the conversation of how products, services, how strategy gets set rather than at the very end of how we just market to them, right? So I, I think that's the part where it is a love-hate relationship with it. And I think, frankly, the reason we're even talking is exactly for that for that same reason, um, which I would love to, you know, I don't know if you feel the same way about it, but I would love to actually get into the very specifics as to why this conversation even began or how this began, because I think it's important for people to hear the, the literal struggle that even amongst us as Latinos that are in this business, I think, have, you know, and the different perspectives that we have, you know, a potential place of misalignment. Yeah, so so just before we jump into that, I just want to give my perspective on Heritage Month. Look, I'm happy that you know the government was thinking about it at that time because think about that that you know that is you know change, right? They were really trying to establish you know I guess you know visibility for a group of people that probably didn't have the t the right type of visibility in a business political economic perspective right so so kudos to making that happen the challenge with with just ethnic segment you know ethnic marketing for the lack of better word i want to stay there is cuz with all those diversity issues that happened in that civil rights movement in the 60s we got stuck there as that's the way we think about marketing to this consumer base. We actually leveraged that platform and stayed there for a long time. And a lot of those perceptions of ourselves stuck there, right? And, you know, the pivot that I was trying to do in the early 2000s and as I kind of went through my career was 
let's not think about ethnic marketing. We're all marketers. They're consumers, right? Like, why are we putting ourselves in that box? Because government gave us those boxes. While if you look at the rest of the world, you know, they're thinking about, you know, just regular consumer segments, right? <laughs> like, and you don't need to be Latino to market to Latinos. You don't need to be a woman to market. To, like those, those constraints still haunt us. And that's the challenge that I have, regardless of yeah. Heritage Month or yeah, whatever. That's a good point. I do take advantage. I do take advantage of Heritage Month as a way to create a touch point mm-hmm. in our narrative to a specific consumer. But that shouldn't be all an end all. And I think, you know, in in all my engagement, right? I have my own consulting practice, and I've been, you know, doing my thing, you know. Unfortunately, the door opening to my, because I don't just do ethnic marketing, but the door opening to that is like, hey, I have Hispanic Heritage Month happening. Can you help me with that? Then I let me in and let's have a different conversation. So um, I I don't get stuck on that conversation. You know what I mean? And I try to, because if they're open to having a conversation on ethnic marketing, then let's have it. It's super interesting, um, and 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 it it presents kind of a, a little bit of a puzzle, right? So, on one hand, this whole idea of getting stuck there, and this idea of this sort of ethnic bubble and category, is super true on the marketing side, and it's reinforced by so many players that made it a business to stay siloed, right? Jesus and I worked for one for many years, right? Univision whose entire business was protecting that moat of this is what we do. And yeah, I remember so many conversations like this inside the halls of Univision where people would say, I hate Hispanic Heritage Month because of all the good reasons we just talked about. But, you know, there's a lot of money that gets set aside for this. So let's go get that money. I mean, it was literally like that. So it was this sort of self-reinforcing mechanism, right, that created that, that cycle and, and, and it gave life to it. And then the other thing that's interesting about it is, I mean, especially for smart guys like you who went to who started your career at Accenture. I started selling copy machines, but you know <laughs> that narrow it, narrow is good, right? Narrow is good. Like the, the the more specific you are, so if you go out into the marketplace and you go, yeah, I do the Latino thing, or even as an employee, I am the Latino person, so I can start a business around Latino. I mean, like that's where I've been for pretty much my whole career now. At this point, is like I'm the kind of Latino guy. So that specificity helps you sell. So it, it's a weird place to be, right? Because at the same time, you're... It's such a weird place to be. You know what be. I mean? So it's Javier. Like, I start with just my name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. uh, because yeah. that that was, you know, in in the people that ran these organizations, they make the assumption that you understood that just because of my name. You know what I mean? Like the eyes went to me, you know, oh, it's Javier, you know, um, and, and that actually, um, you know, was challenging to me. And, and one person told me this in my, in my career going up, like, just just don't fall into this idea of becoming a professional Latino, be a Latino professional. Yeah. Yeah, and and I love and, that. and I and I try to I try to establish myself as a professional, regardless if I'm Latino or not. And I just happen to have tools to understand culture, not Latinoism. So and I try to rectify that by saying, hey, look, if you want to go in after country culture, 
I know how to do that. If you need to go after like skateboard culture, design culture, I'm your guy. I happen to have even, a, I could double down on the Latino stuff. Yeah, because my name is Javier and I care about that culture even more than the others. But it's the same toolkit. You know what I'm saying? Understanding strategy, understanding consumer, understanding, you know, that third dimension that I talk about, which is culture, culture graphics. And how do you how do you really hone into that through digital and social listening? And then you come immerse yourself into an overall engagement strategy. But I don't start with the idea of being a professional Latino. Yeah, no, I, the whole idea of Russian Latino thing is, is yeah, I've, I've gone on many rants about that, that comment. Um, and I think even, I think there's two things. One is, it, it you know, it's funny, the first time that I actually, that I realized it really bothered me to see, then I was not bothered, maybe confused um, in the sense like, I remember as a little kid, I don't know how old I was, maybe 11, 12 years old, watching, um, was it, uh, I've talked about this before, Charlie, Showtime at the Apollo or, or you know, the, the show, what they would do, like the performances at the Apollo Theater. What was it called? Showtime at the Apollo? Something like that, right? I think it was Showtime at the Apollo Theater. Yeah. So I remember watching, I used to like staying up because they played like on, I think on Saturday nights, pretty late. And it was like kind of like a sneaky thing for me to do. I was like 11 years old, right? Like watch Showtime at the Apollo and see people get booed off and everything. Uh, and I used to like that shit watching it. But I noticed that every time they would go on commercial breaks, I would see every almost every commercial were black people in it. Like there was a McDonald's commercial, the Burger King commercial, all of and it was like mostly black actors. And I found it so interesting to me, it wasn't that they were all black that surprised me. Like, why is it that I've only seen this commercial here? And I was eleven years old and it caught my attention. I'm like, that's weird. Like, why wouldn't I see this in my morning cartoons? Why wouldn't I see this when um at all the time, like this is, seems like a perfectly normal commercial to be running at any time. Why is it that I've only seen it during this time, right? So it it, it actually it, it sort of highlighted this issue that in some ways you could make it bigger in how some of these months get sort of placed: Black History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, Pride Month, where there is this concentration. And to Javier, to your point, the reality is is an opportunity for us to many times move the ball forward, literally, right? With some of these initiatives, but then you you get the the downside of this is that you get this over concentration where it feels like it's the only time where it makes sense to talk to these people to connect with these audiences that are really really important. And I just a little as a little kid, I remember seeing that, and it kind of struck me as a really weird thing for it to be the case. I didn't understand it, of course, at eleven years old why that was the case, but it did. I remember raising a question. I just found it very odd that this would be the only time where I would see these kind of people that I went to school with that will see I will see every day in the street, but normally wouldn't see on TV. And it was only during these commercial breaks during Showtime of the Apollo. You know, and I, I actually loved that show. And it was right after Saturday Night Live. And I watched it religiously myself at that age. So we're probably around the same age. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is that I actually didn't think it was weird. I embraced it. I was just like, I, I started realizing I like cultural things. Like that is what attracted me, you know, as a Latino man. Like I like African-American hip hop things. I like you know, Asian things. I just like cultural things. Think about the whole phenomena in the 80s and 90s with like, like um, the Asian Kung Fu movies that were like, that were over here. You know what I'm saying? Like we were attracted to cultural things. My, my point is not that I didn't like it. I did, right? My, my question was like, why does it only show up during this time? Why don't I see those same commercials all the time? Yeah. And that was my that was my issue, right? Because I'm literally watching a show called Showtime at the Apollo. I grew up in Compton listening to mostly hip hop music during the era of NWA. 
like I was all into hip hop, right? So it wasn't an issue that I didn't like the, I love the culture. I was finding confusing why it would only show up during this time. Yeah. Like that was, that was my, my issue with it. So the, the, the cultural backdrop is an interesting one because, you know, so much of this conversation is precisely around this, right? The fact that these communities are culture drivers, culture makers, um, you know, in a way, the, the the Black and Latino communities specifically are the ones that are helping to, you know, kind of create the fabric of the things that on a popular level, people pay attention to, whether they know it or not. Back in the Showtime at the Apollo days, or, and certainly before, it was sort of, they were shaping the culture, but we didn't talk about it or identify it in a way where it was like, this is why. Now we're at a point where we're saying, oh, the thing you like, the music, the fashion, the, the the art, whatever, the origins, by and large, tend to come from these communities. That's also the case in the area of sports, right? Sports, culture and sports is very intertwined. And frankly, sports um, is kind of the religion of this country, right? Sport, well, it was sports, maybe now it's politics, but um, it's gone from religion, like real religion, to sports, to now some hybrid. But sports is really, really important. And, you know, this kind of leads us, uh, Hav, to this situation that we're living right now, right, with you and with the NFL. Now, I can frame it, but you're there, right? So you can you can talk to us about this. And then I'd love to riff a little bit on it. You, do you want to break it down? Or you want me to break what, it down? What, what, Charlie, can I, can I jump in here? Because I think look, the, the starting point of our conversation, the, the reason why we were discussing it was because I put up a post on LinkedIn about, you know, the launch of, or what at least what I assume was the launch of the NFL Hispanic Heritage Month campaign right now. Right. And now, and, and Javi, obviously, being one of the... the, the it, it was not. But 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 it, it was, was not, not right. That's right. So I didn't. It was not. But it was, as I mentioned, as what I thought. So I think it'd be great to actually look for those that are not as plugged in with why we're talking. I think it's actually a good. It's a great use case of 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 actually having an issue, talking about it, really flushing it through. Which I'm really excited about talking about this. So so there was a a, a post that I put up on Twitter where I first saw this, uh, where I, it looked like at least to me that it was the launch of the Hispanic Heritage Month campaign. A campaign called Por la Cultura. Now, what what struck me the most about this this post, and this is a post that I used on Twitter, was already getting a lot of action against it. People were having a a, a reaction quite a bit. The thing that struck me the most, and I would say from what I reacted to, was the the graphical treatment on the actual logo, which is what this post actually highlighted, which is adding the tilde, or what looks like you know the tilde, the little squirrely line above. The end, so turning the end of the NFL to an enye, right? Um, and it kind of sort of talks about. So I don't want to get into too, too much of specific as to what it is. Got a little hobby for you to describe how that came to be, the strategy, all that, right? But my reaction to that, seeing the enye, was that it felt very much like a gimmick, right? Like this is exactly what I thought looked like, at least in my mind, not knowing anything else about it, only what had been shared on on Twitter and seeing all, all the reactions. That this is a kind of gimmick that is the the kind of signaling to the community, like, oh, this is not your month, but in a way that just in my mind made absolutely no sense, right? So I basically went on a little mini rant uh, and talked about this on on LinkedIn, put it up. My reaction to it was literally like nope or nope, but with the with the enye. and then you know my issue with this is I just thought it was a big miss by the NFL. I talked about if you want to build real connection with the audiences, you know, they'll make it transactional only once a month. 
stop oversimplifying the culture through a gimmick, which was my issue with Enya. And my big, my ask in this case of this post was to be, you know, to engage this community, be about us and invest in us, right? And that's what I put up. Now, as a result of that, of course, a lot of people kind of reacted to it and a number of people at least that saw my post agreeing with it. And then Javi reached out and said, hey, I've worked on this. I worked on this with a bunch of other Latino creatives. Let's talk about it. And as soon as I saw that, first of all, I, of course, I had no idea that Javi had worked on it. But th the reality is my reaction would have been probably the same regardless of who worked on it. Because what I was reacting to was primarily the logo treatment and once again, will look like very transactional. Uh, but I think it sparked a great opportunity for us to have a conversation, to talk about, hey, what actually is this thing? Is it really as transactional, as, as uh, gimmicky as I called it out, right? Uh, or is there more to this? And, and really to get into the, like, what, what was the thinking behind this? Because look, I, I love to be wrong, and I think it's awesome if that's the case. But I, even at right now, which I was still talking about it because we forced us to not talk about it too much. The end is still like I still have a little bit of that uh, 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 gag reaction when I see it. <laughs> to be perfectly candid, right? So I want to hear more about. So we wanted to talk about it, Javi. I know you wanted to reach out. So let's let's talk about. It. So if you don't mind, Javi, give, give us the background as to where this came to be. What was kind of the thinking behind it? And let's actually let's talk through like this entire campaign that actually was, and to your point, actually launched this year, but it's now sort of year two of this initiative that was uh, that was launched last year. Yeah, so so I'll give you a little backstory how I got to the NFL. So, um, you know, I have, I have, um, I work with a few folks, you know, in the culture space, you know, um, probably a few years ago, I worked with Rock Nation on their title business. Um, you know, not multicultural at all, just, music marketing, how do you connect and, and drive engagement for their streaming service? Through that, had good relationships, you know, Rock Nation and a couple other people I know went to the NFL after that deal because they're doing all the music for the halftime show. And, you know, Miami was the next Super Bowl. So they're like, who could help us turn up Miami, right? Like, how do we engage that community, that diverse community as we're going into Super Bowl, knowing where we are with the halftime show? I came in, started that work, and then I've been working with the NFL for the past few years under you know, our CMO, Tim Ellis, great, great leader, one of the best you know, CMOs that I've worked with you know, in my career. Um, and you know, he wanted, and, and, and the NFL was tackling a lot of challenges, right? Um, the C COVID hit, you know, the slowdown of that, you know, all the movement that was happening, you know, with you know, with Black Lives Matter. And we, we tackled it, you know, head on. And my job was help us understand how to really talk to Latinos, right? Um, as we know where the world is going, right? All the, all the information that we had. So this is two years in the making. So, you know, I did what any marketer would do. Let's, let's, ha let's understand who the consumer is. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we can tactically go tackle Miami, but let's, let's understand who the consumer is. Let's understand the fan and stuff like that. So we did a ton of research. We looked at Latinos across the country, spent around seven months doing that work with a couple of agencies to kind of get us to that hone in. Um, we looked at just not, you know, English Dom Latinos. We went all the way down the spectrum um, understand, you know, also our Mexican population because we have a total huge Mexican following for um, NFL. And then we came up with a perspective that came in last year. And, and we realized one is that, you know, they want to talk about culture. They want us to embrace that culture in some capacity. So how do we do that? Two, 
you know, there's passion points that we all know what they are that we've been talking for many, many years. Three is that sharing of fandom is done by celebrity and by the dads and siblings. So we knew those were the kind of the places that kind of, you know, really get the momentum going. And we have a ton of Latino fans that love the NFL. Some of them are really diehard fans and a lot of them are not. They're casual fans, but they are fans of the sport, especially in those big moments. So the NFL has been for many years doing Heritage Month, you know, because it's right at the beginning of their season. Um, And, you know, Tim is a very bold, you know, and, and forward thinking CMO. And he's like, how do we, how do we really embrace the the Latino culture in us? And I told them is like, treat it like any other culture, right? Like showcase what is, you know, the importance of that culture in your general market campaigns. Right. So that's where we started. You know, we started integrating key Latino influencers. We started integrating music into the campaign. So you'll start seeing as of last year, we started doing that in the campaigns. We weren't doing a dedicated ad specifically for them. We were like integrating these pieces into the fabric of how we talk to our consumers holistically. That's one piece of the strategy. Then um, we had this moment every season that was Heritage Month. And, you know, I'm a person who doesn't like the idea of Hispanic Heritage Month, the word Hispanic. I'm more, you know, progressive in that sense. So, you know, I kind of lean in on the Latinx side um, because I think about inclusivity and progressiveness and really the colonization of the Spanish, you know, so so I'm, I'm, I'm not for that. But, you know, the country is very different. The clubs are very different. So we gave, we said, let's move away from just to your point about Heritage Month. We can use this as a launch pad to talk about, you know, our fan engagement strategy, but let's kind of focus there and, 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 and let's come up with another, you know, you know, I guess, um, theme around that. And in all of the research, we came up with this idea of for the culture. NFL is doing it for the culture. So the campaign that we're talking about specifically is called Pola Cortura. Pola Cortura is the name of the campaign. And we started it. And then, and then in that piece of the campaign, you know, I started saying, hey, let's do something really special with the shield. Let's play with the shield in some way. And, you know, and that took a lot. You know, the shield is the mark. So nobody likes it. Nobody touches that. But we started playing around with that and being a little bit bold with that. We started playing it with different themes as we kind of went down, you know, the mumps and other kind of initiatives that we're going after. And um, so we wanted to symbolize that, you know, we are a fabric, Latinos are a fabric of everything of America. So if you look at the shield, the actual full, it's actually all the, all the, um, all the flags coming together and then it, it turns into what the shield is with the, with the, with the dash. And that was going to be the way we were going to lock it up. It would say, the shield with the dash or la cortura. It's not supposed to be an enye. It's a symbol, a nod to show that part of all Latin culture is within that. Hav, did you ever look at having a reinterpretation of the badge itself, maybe created by somebody from the community or some other way to re-express the badge? That's that's how that's how we came up with this idea. So we actually worked with, I had the NFL, I brought in the design team 
and we brought in Latino designers from that are Latino that worked in the, in the design group to work on it. We brought in a woman um, called Milani Sanchez, who I look for Latin excellence. I don't look for professional Latinos. Milani worked at Kith, worked at Vogue. She was Drake's stylist for five years, right? How Drake looks is the, you know, she worked on that, on that process. I had her come in and help kind of design that. And then I took it, you know, to celebrities and say, hey, you got kind of like this. Because my thought was, we can probably merchandise this in some way. And we came up with a collection that of sweatshirts, uh, 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 um, varsity jacket and some hats. And we sold out in, in like a day. Yeah. With the symbol. And we only, and we didn't, we didn't promote it as Latino heritage. We just promoted it as this is cool shit. And we had Ozuna and Victor Cruz wear it. And, and the way we launched it is like, we're going to start a campaign where we're giving back to Latino youth with the Hispanic Heritage Foundation. So we created scholarships and grants. Yeah, I saw that too. That's cool. And, and we basically opened it up and had Ozuna talk about it and we sold merch from it. That's how we launched it last season. And then we created a spot that didn't talk about Heritage Month. It talked about the, the playing field is where everything becomes equal. And we're we're here to um, to embrace the Latin culture within within football. That was the campaign. We didn't do the press. We didn't want to because our 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 focus is the Latino fan. Let's celebrate the Latino fan. And let's celebrate Latino youth. I think based on what you said, though, Hav, I think that the, the just a couple of observations, um, and uh, definitely keep riffing on this because it's good to get all this background. I think the idea of this, first of all, not being for Hispanic Heritage Month specifically. That's that's good in the sense that this is part of an ongoing effort campaign to more deeply connect with the Latino fan, to understand them, to represent them, to showcase them. All of that's really good. The integration of Latino within the general market things that the NFL is doing is definitely good. I also I also noticed that, too, in a lot of the, uh, you know, shop, the NFL shop uh, spots that came out last year, right? A lot of the shop at stuff with the jerseys and it had a look and feel that I, I didn't recall from the NFL before. And it was really infused with a lot of the same things that you're talking about. All of that, I think, is good. The idea of bringing in Latino designers, creatives, et cetera, to work on this, like all good. To me, I think the the issue that um, that this may come down to is a question of execution in the sense that so much, at least what I've read out there about the criticisms of this particular Por la Cultura spot is really wrapped around what is the perception of this Enye, right? I mean, I wonder if even without the Enye, without that dash, or however you refer to it, okay, without that little squiggly line over the end, if you would have heard any of this backlash, I would think maybe, maybe not. And if you and if you and if you did, it would be like super minimal. So there was something about like it was a little bit of a thunderclap with that Enya that kicked off all of these things. And maybe a lot of them were erroneous perspectives, but nevertheless it did. And, you know, so I, so I got to ask, like, what was that like discussed, considered that this might be perceived as a way to sort of, you know, you know, kind of, and even competitively it's been used before, right? CNN, when they had Espanol used to do that. Uh, MLB with their, with their Ponle Acento had like a little dash over, you know, over their um, their their logo and other things, was it discussed about what could potentially 
you know, go, go wrong? You know, when we, end, so let's, let's, let's talk about last season and then we're going to jump into that. Right. Cause you're talking about what happened this season. So last season we, we had success. Right. And if you look at the results, right, we measured everything. I mean, like, I'm sure everything looked amazing, like double digit growth in our fandom viewership, you know, the perception of NFL being inclusive, like, you know, things were like, Hobbs, you did a great job. You know what I mean? There was, you know, so so things were like, let's double down. Then the world opened up even further, right? Tim's leadership, he brought in the new SVP of brand, not of Latino, of brand, SVP of brand, Marissa Solis. Yep. OG. Yeah, Pepsi. Like Pepsi, sure. accolades, PNG, killed the game in that stuff. And now she's running all of brand, not just Hispanic, all of brand. So anything decision-making going out to the consumer. So, and she saw the, the work. She actually went to the event that we did for those kids that got the scholarship. Like we were in tears just watching these kids and the families getting the stuff. She's like, I want to do more of that. All of that, nobody put their eyes on the thing. It was por la cultura with that. Every It was literally <laughs> across everything that we had. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we had, you know, this guy called Bless on Maluma's stage, 80,000 people. He's wearing the jacket. I'll show you the image of him holding with the, with the logo up there. The consumer is vibing with it. They're paying for it. Where, where I'm getting the feedback in this year is the experts within a, the people, the insiders within the Hispanic marketing world, not anybody else outside of that. That's what gets it interested. So then we go, and now this year we're doubling down. We have many ads. We Our first ad is with Anthony Ramos. I'm not sure if you saw the ad with Anthony Ramos. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, talking about that. So he's he's the epitome of like the 200% of American culture and Latin culture and celebrating his fandom, mm-hmm. right? We're launching, we partner with a company called Neon 16. They have done basically 50% of every music that every young person is dancing to, Latino or not, Bad Bunny, J Balvin, you name it, they've produced it. Tiny and his team. They're producing the music, the Latin music behind, you know, the NFL season. It's called the Pola Cortura Mixtape Volume 1. Yeah, I saw that too. I thought that was pretty cool too. We're, we're launching that. I want to get to the point though. I just want to show the breadth of all this stuff, right? So then, um, and and the the organization is aligning to this whole this whole thing where the, where the misstep ha- happened and where 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 I can say hey look probably it was taken out of time because of the post that post caused the tr- the the problem because people didn't have the context of everything that's going on and that's the first thing that went out it, let's say I did not do that. Right. And that post didn't go in because we're so hyped on how everything went out. Everything would have gone smoothly. And then we would have we shouldn't even said anything about it. We should have just gone with the post and show the breadth of the work. Right. Without what I put in focus, putting putting the focus on that particular thing. And and I think that is where the marketing challenge, the, the learning from our side is. Yeah, because everything you've described, how like. There's so much of it that that just sounds right, you know, thinking of it bigger than just this month, having Latino experts influence, like really start dictating overall strategy for brand, not just for the Latino part of it. I think that's great. The breadth of it, that's great. 
in yeah, this is this was gonna be my question, but it sounds like you, I think you've already answered. Which is, it if it looks like because I didn't even hear about this last year, is that the the way that this was definitely shared on social uh, really put the the shield at the forefront of the launch of, of what felt like the launch of this campaign. And look, whether it's you know you know the internet is brutal, first of all, right? It's just they are what they are. But the one that caught my attention, they were like, this is how people. And I, the, the, the part that will push back on you some will be, I don't think it's just experts, because when I'm looking at the Twitter feed, a lot of people that are making a lot of comments there, and it's not like my post, sure, you can say, you know, my post is definitely coming from that perspective. I completely own that. There was one person that responded and they put like a little viral video of an episode of The, of the Office of where they're celebrating Oscar and they're trying to like come up with like how to make it more Mexican. And a guy just like grabs a, a bottle of lemonade and just adds the squiggly line and, and now it's called lemonade and it, it is labeled Mexican, like Mexican lemonade. And that encapsulates in my mind what the reaction was by putting the shield at the forefront to your point without the context of everything else that you guys were doing and, and, the, and the reaction. So I, I think, cause I, I agree with Charlie, you don't, if that was not part of it, I don't know if there's any kind of react. I, 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 me personally would not have had that kind of reaction. Not that my reaction, frankly, matters, in, in, at least in my opinion, but it, I think I can see where it was coming from, why people were reacting to it. And I do think it is different. Cause I'm, 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 I, I, I want to get your thoughts on on how you felt upon the Lacento campaign that Major League Baseball did. What was it? Uh, 20, I forget now what it was, 2018, maybe around there? 18, 17. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, give me your thoughts on the Ponle Lacento, huh? No, I, you know, like, you know, the, I, I thought it was great. I thought the campaign was great. Look, I thought it, it, you know, you have to understand that it's a platform, right? NFL is a platform. And how are you going to bring, how are you going to symbolize, how are you going to give that nod to the world, you know, on that platform? And, and that, that's the, you know, we're doing a ton of stuff, but we also need, you know, at least when I was thinking about, you know, the symbols of that, how, how are you going to put mm-hmm. it out to the world? And, and, and the platform is when people get on that field. So at least on the MLB side, I thought it was a good way to, to, to showcase that and really embrace, you know, the duality of language on that field. So, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the NFL, the, the NFL is a very different proposition in how we're doing that. Right. Because, you know, it's just not, the Enya is por la cultura. And so if you look at the lockup, it's all of it. You know, and again, I'm going to take accountability on that post. You know what I'm saying? That, that post shouldn't have uh, probably gone up because then it, it, it distracted from the great work. And think about it. Like what yeah, you're hearing is yeah. if you look at the whole PR, like we're, we're doing all the sentiment listening and stuff like that. We have Hoover half a billion impressions already on the love of por la cultura the campaign anthony ramos and all that stuff this is a such a small blimp in the whole yeah you know yeah. Uh, yeah. but it's still impactful not saying it's not hence we're here having this conversation you know it's interesting in the case of Ponel Lacento, because we work directly with major league baseball i mean a matter of fact just so you know full disclosure we also work directly with the nfl um back in 20 i forgot when it was 2019 charlie fair Figure out when that one eighteen, time was. yeah, something like that, right? Um, so understand a lot of the dynamics and, and challenges that are that are there, and also obviously trying to connect with with this audience. But in the case of Major League Baseball, when we started working with them, I remember my first reaction to it is I did not love the Ponle Lacento campaign initially. 
but have since come to actually like it a lot more now that they reflect back and think about what they were actually doing and why it worked so well. And I'll give you the why I didn't like it initially and why I like it so much more now. The initially, the reason why I didn't like it initially is that I felt that at least as it relates to targeting, to engaging with more bilingual, bicultural Latinos, the whole idea of accent and where an accent was, like I'm fully fluent. I could write in Spanish. I could read in Spanish. I have no idea where accents go. No idea. So it felt to me a little bit of a disconnect of saying like, this is a way to give this nod to the community on something that as a Latino who is actually fluent in Spanish, I can't even tell you where, I, where to put an accent. Having said that, the more I reflect on it now, I do think that, I think what you're saying is that it is a great nod in the sense that it does give that duality of language. And also Major League Baseball has a specific dynamic that they do have so many players that are Latino where you could add that accent to their Spanish name that it became a much more prominent part of the game where you saw it everywhere. Like it felt, it felt like a much bigger recognition of the impact that these that this culture is having both in the sense of players in the game itself as a way uh, also as a relationship to fans. So I think to that, to that reason, it, it felt very like good. And, and the more I think about it, the more the more I like it. The reason that I liked it is because I thought that it tied to a deeper insight too, which is the whole idea of an accent mark is to give emphasis, right? To give emphasis to a word of how you pronounce that vowel depending on where it's positioned. And the whole idea of the Latino community having the sort of swagger, the flair, the things that give emphasis at certain parts of the game, bat flips and all this other stuff, it seemed to tie into an insight around the game and the contribution that the Latino players in this case make to the game. So I thought it was, now I don't know who picked up on that, but that's one of the things that I saw was like, yeah, we are about emphasis and we're about you know flair and, and swagger and all of that stuff. So it seemed to connect more for me uh, in that regard. But it, it does sound Hav, like you looked at, at all of these things as part of the consideration. Yeah, we looked at everything. And, and one thing that we noticed in our research when we were doing the designs is that within street culture, within street wear culture, and especially when you look at um, Latinos trying to embrace street wear culture, they started using the accents as ways to um, give a homage to Latinoism mm. in a cool way, right? So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice that they'll write everything one word would be in Spanish, or they'll use accents in different ways, or they'll take imagery that that we care about and put it into the context of pop culture. So that's how they were reinterpreting pop culture. So when when we when we were doing that, when we were doing that, when we were redesigning the Pola Cortura imagery, we took inspiration from those Latino like streetwear kind of focuses to say, Hey, this could be a good way to, to, to do that. Um, so, so, and, and we had Latino designers doing that research for us and coming back with different types of executions on how to bring that to light. I do want to touch on two, two, two other things really quickly. And even though we haven't said this explicitly, I do want to explicitly say Hav, that we really appreciate you coming on the show to have the discussion, period, because it takes balls to talk about stuff like this, right? And it takes even more balls to reach out to talk about stuff like this. So j just you know, for the record, even if we leave this conversation not having agreed on everything, we really appreciate that because that's really the essence of what this show is, is to have discussions about difficult things, but to do it from the standpoint of trying to understand rather than just yelling at each other. So, So really kudos on that. A couple other things that stood out to me, and I just want your thoughts on it. The tagline, por la, 
por la cultura. And you keep saying it's for the culture. Now, you know, to be grammatically precise, that's not what por la cultura actually means. That means more like because of the culture. Por la cultura, for the culture would be para la cultura, right? So I'm, I'm curious about that and just thoughts around whether or not the, you know, that grammatical precision was discussed. Does it matter? Who cares? It works if it's because the culture or for the culture. So I want to ask about that. And then the second thing, which is a very small point, but it's something that I thought about. When you go to the Por la Cultura website, the URL sequence is actually um, puts Por la Cultura under causes, right? So nfl.com backslash causes backslash Por la Cultura. And what that says to me is that this is within a cause framework, which sounds different than the things that you've talked about inside the NFL, which is, hey, we've got a Latina running all of brand. The CMO cares about this. We got all these people. It's a major part of our business. There's 30 million Latino fans that watch football in the US. I mean, this is a massive market. 31. 31. 31. So, so talk to me about those two things, por la cultura and about the sort of URL. Charlie, you've, you've, done, you've done your research, brother. Yeah, man. What do you think? I'm, this is it. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. So, so huge camp, huge debate. Yeah. Over para important, huge debate. So it took us like it, it's funny how all these details actually really matter now. Because I was just like, does it really matter? And we we, we we had we have a whole Mexican we we have a whole Mexican team. We have you know really um, very thoughtful people of our language within our team um, that work with with me. Um, shout out to um, Chapa. We call him Chapa Gerardo Chapa. Um, so so we went down that down that path, and we we. Dis distinctly said for because of the because because we wanted to show the infusion of latin culture into it i was going for para because if you look at all the reggaetoneros and the urban vibe they always do hashtag para para la cultura like you know what i'm saying so so i like i was going down yeah, that path. yeah yeah i was going down that path because that's kind of where my urbanness and my you know my connection to like youth culture goes but You know, as we talked about, as we think about the institution of NFL, you know, they were like, look, I think it's we have to go more towards that language. So that's how we got to the port. So, Charlie, you the man. Like, I wouldn't even think anybody would get to that level of detail. But thank you for even bringing that up. Yeah, for that sure. was a painful. That, that was painful month and a half of me going back and forth. And like, do we really need to have this conversation? But we do. Now I know why, because Charlie's going to ask me. That's uh, it. And then, and then, <laughs> and, and, then, and, then um, uh, and then the URL for the cause, right? And and para la cultura and por la cultura piece. Uh, the, that's just institutional um, frameworks that that I'm I'm working with at the NFL, right? Remember what I'm coming into in the beginning of this conversation is. You know, as we thought about Hispanic Heritage Month, it was a cause-related effort. It was part of the cycle of what we promote. So we just leverage what we did for Hispanic Heritage Month and replace it. Remember, I want to get rid of Latin and and, and said, let me just take that site. It's going to be season long and it's going to be por la cultura. That's why, that's the heritage behind where we started. But that's not you know, the only thing I'll give you a couple of more examples. We now have a site called mundo NFL.com mundo.nfl.com. Yeah. I've seen it all Spanish language. We're doubling down on putting everything Spanish language in there for the Spanish speaking world. 
that's an investment, right? And that's going to be across. We just launched NFL Plus. NFL Plus is our streaming platform. There's going to be a whole dedicated section for Mundo NFL, right? We have a Instagram called El Snap. You know, homage to me too and the stuff that, that you guys did there. I mean, we're not too far from what we're trying to build in that infrastructure, right? We're bringing culture, lifestyle, and sport together, right? That is what that is. We start that as a pilot last season. You know, we're 18,000 plus strong and it keeps on growing. Like there is a demand and we're going after that bicultural Latino, not, you know, the Spanish speaking world. And out of all leagues, Nobody has that type of investment. They have the investment of doing the Spanish stuff and then, you know, the Hispanic Heritage Month. No, we're, we're, we're developing channels solely for this consumer, for pure engagement. We're putting investment behind streaming services and having Spanish language content for that Spanish speaker. And then for La Cultura is the campaign that drives that con- conversation year long. So it sounds like there's just some legacy things that, you know, and it's tough to turn around a battleship, right? So the URL thing may just be a battleship issue where it's like, you know, you've got this web architecture yeah. that you're contending with. But it did strike me, the whole idea that's nestled within causes, because it, it's not a cause, right, by everything that you've said, or not only a cause, um, based on everything you said. Jesus, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, and I will say, just in, in full disclosure, as Javi knows, like I also, you know, earlier this year launched a, a company specifically focused on the Latino sports fans called Cabra Sports. So a lot of what you're speaking to, like, speaks to my heart and, and what we're focusing on and building right now so that that all makes a lot of sense i guess going back to where we we started this this conversation as it relates to the shield how are you thinking about it now i mean there's a lot of obviously there is a piece here giving a lot of this context super important i think that makes a lot of sense a lot of things that you're launching the social brand the site that is, is obviously a much more holistic plan but but when we look at the the reaction that the shield has gone and once again i, I think at least from my perspective, I think it's beyond just the marketing folks that are that reacted that way. I think more people have had more of that reaction because they felt like the forefront of it. Is the plan to kind of own that a little bit? Because I think there's an opportunity, frankly, for, and this is tough because brands don't like to be sometimes self-deprecating and this is part of their sort of their voice or their persona because you could actually lean into this and use it as a way to kind of embrace the humor of some of this and actually like embrace the culture even more. I saw some hilarious responses that I think the NFL can own and actually be sharing. As an example, someone put up, uh, instead of Seahawks, they put C-S-I and then Hawks with a little sombrero on it. I thought it was hilarious. And there's a bunch of people that have done like pretty funny posts about this, like kind of making fun of the NFL. But I think it could be potentially an opportunity to reframe all of these and bring the kind of bring some levity to the conversation because there is so much good stuff that you guys are doing that this has become a little bit of a distraction and maybe the distraction would be, would be a way to actually embrace some of the humor that look as latinos we make fun of each other that's part of our like i grew up making fun of and being made fun of all the time by all my family members like you grew up with a very thick skin so this could be an opportunity to maybe lean into that how are you thinking about it in terms of or or not or just leave it as they're giving context they're moving on to everything else that is launching and is being built out from from this initiative you know uh, um it's it's a conversation that that we have had and and i think that look we are very proud you know like i had i had a conversation with um i um my um, our CMO and our SVP and, and a ton of people inside the building, like we're proud of the work that we've done. You know what I'm saying? And we have like stats to show that the fan 
is purchasing the stuff. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? So we are going to continue down the path because there's a lot of investment and a lot of time and energy and people's creativity. Like, you know, I got this guy called Cheeto. He, he's been used with Supreme, um, Giovanni, the, 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 the high end brand has worked with him. He's creating a Jersey leveraging this platform. Like, there's too much investment for us to move away from it. Um, I think we've learned our lesson in, in, in probably that particular post. And we've been working very closely with each and every club to celebrate their Latino fans in, in the way that they want. We gave them some parameters and that Seahawks was, was their version of that. You know what I'm saying? So folks are doing their own things. And the other thing that we're, we're working on is, you know. Yeah, but on that one specifically, that was just uh... That was just a person just creating that. I don't think it was the Seahawks themselves. No, I know that. But I mean, I'm saying they're embracing their Latino fans and, and oh, celebrating yeah. celebrating what fans are doing. So so we're not we're not shying away from that. I, I, I think that um, so I, I don't think we're going to be moving away from it. We just want to use this time to have the conversation about the campaign that we're doing. Right. So, uh, you know, you you put it out there. Let's have a conversation. Because we're very proud of what we yeah, want and, sure. and, and have this dialogue and then bring some more light to what we're doing. I think it's a positive in that sense, you know. And, you know, we're this is the second year. I, I'm hoping we have third to 10 years of this work and we're going to embrace more Latino creators. So as you guys put this out in the world, you know, we have another season coming up. Like, I want to embrace more people to work with us. You know what I'm saying? That is what we're trying to do. We want to, you know, open up that platform. You know, so 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 I think that's how we're thinking about it. And, and we're just doubling down on having the conversation about it and learning from it. Right. We learn from it. Yeah. Feed, feedback is a gift. And, and there's mm-hmm. there's a you know, steady, steady supply of feedback when you're, uh, you know, out in the social uh, ecosystem and you're never going to, you know, uh, impress or uh, please everyone. That's true. Um, but I think, you know, before we get to Courage or Cringe, I, I, which is our final segment here, Hava, we, we talked about it earlier, but um, before we get there, what I wanted to do is kind of summarize a little bit. I think if there's a change of heart or a change of perspective on, on, on our side, and maybe I'm speaking, Jesus, more for you, but certainly for me, is the context, right? So the context is, this is a significantly more strategic, broader, deeper uh, more meaningful initiative that has been ongoing for a period of time with a variety of different touch points, including community impact, which we haven't talked about, but you talked about the the foundation. That is something that in our work with brands, we always talk about, like make it real in the community and you guys have. So all those things are true. And I think that context has been helpful in at least dealing with the question that this is does not seem like it's a transaction does not seem like you're trying to make a fast buck, does not seem that you're trying to do this for Hispanic Heritage Month. So on one side. On your side, it seems like there's some uh, you know, understanding or recognition that maybe the kind of first step forward with the badge on social at that time could probably be reeled back in and go, hey, maybe we would have done this a little bit of a different way. Is that a fair kind of summary of where, where we landed on this? A uh, 120% on <laughs> that one, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, because that's the that's the really unfortunate thing, right? The, the, when I first saw this, I, t- I told Jesus, final thought on this from my perspective, I, I told Jesus, it's almost like um, curb appeal. It's almost like the real estate business. You've got a house that is perfectly appointed with all the right things in the right neighborhood. It's incredible on the inside. It's got all the right you know, room set up, the architecture, the walls, the interior is perfect. But there's some crazy thing in the front yard, like a pink flamingo or something, or just some weird curb appeal. And people look at that when they're buying a home and go, yeah, I don't want to live here, even though it's the perfect house for them. right? So there's a little bit of a curb, curb appeal a, um, aspect to coming out first foot forward with, that, with the badge, with the, with the squiggle that is akin, in my mind, like to me, it, it, it seems similar. right? We're like, man, you're missing this great property and this great opportunity and go inside and take a look and look at all this stuff. It's crazy. But people are driving, you know, some people chose to drive by or not even look at the house. That's kind of what I what I looked at this at when I first when I first saw it, because I assumed some of the things that I knew about the NFL that they don't have fast things. Right. So I assumed some of those things. But nevertheless, the reaction was real. So you had to, you know, you had to validate some of that as well. Yeah. You have to acknowledge it. Yeah, of course. I acknowledge that. Yeah. Well, good, man. Listen, uh, Javier, you know, again, Really appreciate you coming on to chat about this. Um, I think you've you've forced people to take a fresh look at this, and that's good, right? It's good for all of us to do that. I think you're forcing us to take a fresh look at this, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's what this is about. We gotta we gotta go see a game, and you're gonna wear some Por la Cultura merch when we go to the game. Are you gonna you wear that on it? <laughs> I'll be taking pictures of Jesus in it. Don't worry about it. Okay, all right, let's do it. Uh, let's I love do it. That. I'm getting you the merch. By the way. I, I know Charlie said you don't want to speak for me, but I, I would say because I'm the one that kicked off this little little storm. Uh, look, I think the biggest thing that I would that I would say from our conversation is that, and I do think the transactional piece is a big one because that's maybe the one that I was most reacting to. I also do appreciate what feels like a bigger investment in this community at all levels, right? And that that part does not come across. It really is too bad, man. I, I do like if there's any recommendation I have, which is very few, is like I would embrace. The trolling. I would totally embrace the trolling. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not proud of the work. The work is great. But when you do that, it's like you're giving the internet a reason to cheer for you. It was like, oh, that's awesome. They're in on the joke as well. They get it. <laughs> like, there is such an opportunity there. I'm telling you, man. Like, we create content every day around, especially TikTok. There's such an opportunity for the NFL to come in and just embrace it. And I think people will love you for it because they're like, oh, these guys can laugh at themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be, that gives levity to things, right? T- putting that to the side, I do appreciate and like everything else you guys are doing. So I think it's great. And, and I'm glad, I'm really glad you reached out. And frankly, that the the reaction to 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 this, like this whole thing kicking off was like, yeah, let's talk. Love that. Yeah. So I thought that was that was really important. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for giving me the platform to talk about it. Like, yeah, of course. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just good to just talk to colleagues, you know, about the work. You know, and and I see you guys as experts. You know, what I mean, like you guys been in the game for a minute, so you know, let's let's continue to build because we have to support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the big thing for us, Javier, is that we want to make sure, like, our work is all about use the data to build, to find the insight, to build the strategy, right? Because intelligent work is intelligent work, and it's not Latino intelligent or you know Asian intelligent. It's just it's intelligent work, right? So. That's what's most important to us. It's evident in all the work that we do. And that's where I think, you know, this sort of like curb appeal thing was like, wait a minute, has that happened? You've talked on this show that it has. uh, And for that, we give you and the NFL certainly all the credit that is due. 
We're going to include in the show notes all the info on you know how folks can check out the the whole uh, Por la Cultura campaign and you know whatever all the things that are part of it, all the you know content, etc., the storytelling, the impact piece. Uh, so we'll include that in the show notes so people can avail themselves of that uh, information. But again, Havs, uh, really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show to talk about it. Yeah, and and I'm gonna do a shout out. Just um, go to uh, go to Instagram, um, follow NFL L Snap NFL. You can see all the great work that we're doing on a day to day basis, and all the clubs uh, participating in Latino culture. And then, of course, NFL.com/slash Polacortura is where you find kind of specific activations and the creative that we're doing for the particular campaign. And we're going to be in Mexico, November 21st, Mexico game, Monday Night Football on ESPN. So there's going to be a ton of stuff that we're doing there. So look, we're taking games to Mexico. We're making things happen. So, you know, we're doubling down with this community. That's the one that I want tickets to. So just FYI. Only if we see the merch. We got to see you wearing the Puebla Cultura merch. You go to Mexico and I see Send me some and we'll we'll have a look. Jesus, I'm not so sure Great about it. We'll out. see. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll we'll swap merch. I'll give you my Cabra Sports merch as well, Javier. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So you guys are ready to play Courage or Cringe? Let's do it. Yep. All right, let's do it. Jesus, you you're gonna kick us off? You want me to go? Uh sure, kick us off. Let's stay let's stay in uh in the same category, uh football. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all heard about this, but, um, I think as the details are coming out, it's just not looking good for my boy, Brett Favre, right? So one of the things that I, that I, that I saw, uh, very recently was this news that Brett Favre had, he's kind of embroiled in this, in this controversy where some of the funds that were allocated for low-income families in the state of Louisiana were on the down low shifted to help pay for a volleyball court. Uh, it's a, I forget how the university went to, uh, is it Louisiana Tech? I forget what his university, but um, basically the the story goes that his dog, he wanted to make sure that the the state was going to build a new volleyball court for the university where he played, his alma mater, and where his daughter currently plays a volleyball. And through some back-end dealings, they uh, were negotiating on taking funding that would normally be allocated to low-income families. I think it was around $4 million in total. I think within that, there was like another million dollars of like speaking fees, et cetera, that he had um, also negotiated, which I don't think he actually was ever, uh, ever spoke at those events. Um, and then shifting cap, you know, money from the low, one of the, the state that has the lowest income, the lowest, like the highest level of poverty, and then shifting some of that money to basically fund for a private project uh, for a, a, you know, a professional player that made millions of dollars during his career. And the whole thing just seems so shady. Uh, the last thing that came out very recently was a text message thread that shows what the conversation was like. It literally shows Brett Favre saying that he doesn't want this to come out to the light. It's just like, it's not all, you know, we want to have people be innocent until proven guilty, but it just does not look good. And if you're ever going to try to take, you know, use your power and influence, you know, using it for good. And, and Brett Favre, for whatever issues he had, he's a beloved player. He was, I think, for a long time. And it really, I think, is going to be a big stain in his legacy. If this all ends up being 100% true, that he he did this kind of move um, in this state, especially just like the optics are just terrible. And and for me, it was a big, big cringe of the, of the week seeing the story come through. 
it just kind of isn't this this theme of, of the people with the the haves taking advantage of the have nots and uh, and I just thought the whole thing was very cringy. He so he went for the record to Southern Miss. Southern Miss, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Southern Mississippi. Um, I just looked that up, and um, and this is the same issue that's been kicking around for a while, right? We talked about this earlier. Is this there's new information? I guess that's that's come out. There was some controversy earlier about him with speakers' fees and all that stuff. Yeah, the the text message thread is what came out. Got it. That's okay. what came out this past week. So it actually shows him directly engaging in this topic and trying to figure out how they can get this funding for uh, for this court. And that's that's just not that's a terrible terrible look. So a cringe for Brett Favre. Of course, a cringe. The Packers win this weekend, by the way. I forgot. They did. Yeah, yeah. They had a a good comeback game against the Bears. Oh, that's right. Yeah, against the Bears. Yeah, good team. Aaron Rodgers. I still I I, I can't get around liking Aaron Rodgers for some reason for for years. I don't know why. There's something weird about him that I just I can't I can't relate. Which which is what's interesting, right? Because Brett Favre, they're like the polar opposites. They're like, I I like I like him. You like Aaron? You do? Yeah, I like Aaron. Well, you can't say you don't like anybody from the NFL. You work there. I mean, come on. That's true. That's true. That's true. But yeah, slightly. <laughs> yes, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if we uh, trust that opinion too much. But um, but uh, yeah. So all right, that's a good one. And Javier, any any thoughts on uh, on the on Jesus's cringe? I don't want to. I don't want to move on before I give you a chance to opine. If you have any thoughts. No, I mean, if I if I'm not cringing on that, you know, there's something wrong with me. So <laughs> that just. It's just horrible. I mean, my brother told me about that, and it's just horrible. It's horrible. It just shows where we are. You know, just the political system needs to evolve in some capacity so things like this don't happen. Not a good look. So, um, all right. So for mine, it's interesting. This is kind of a first time ever on this show where I'm, I'm courage and cringe, but at different stages in the story. So I'll, I'll just break it down for you guys. Are you guys familiar with the world of chess? Yes. I play chess. Somewhat, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, then, so you may have heard of Magnus Carlsen, right? So Magnus Carlsen is kind of the goat in the chess world. Um, There's a great documentary film about him. He's a kid who, you know, kind of grew up a little bit on the spectrum. He's got, you know, a a lot going on in his head. There's a lot, uh, a lot of gears turning. Very interesting kid. And from a very, very young age, you know, prodigy at, at the game of chess. And he's been, you know, a grandmaster for a number of years, ranked number one forever. But he's been embroiled in a little bit of a controversy over the last month which had another incident in the controversy just this week. Now, the controversy kind of began when he uh, unexpectedly lost a, ma- uh, a match against uh, an American uh, uh, grandmaster as well named Hans, Hans Niemann. And uh, this was a you know, completely unexpected, like way underdog uh, you know, guy. They're playing in this tournament. He loses the match. He's kind of surprised himself. And then afterwards, he sends out a tweet referencing, uh, you know, essentially through, a, a, you know, kind of a movie reference, kind of referencing the fact that the other player, this guy Hans Niemann, cheated. Now, there's a variety of ways, and I dug into this, of how you can cheat in chess, because I would think like, man, that would be kind of hard because it's all happening inside your brain. But apparently there is all kinds of electronic devices and different ways that you can get input from other people and get perspectives. And it's a whole like, you know, CIA level, you know, thing when, when cheating does occur at least in person. You can obviously cheat if you're playing online in a variety of different ways. But anyway, he sort of suggested that this guy was cheating and that's how he lost. So just last week, I think it was, or earlier this week, they met again on an online match and Magnus Carlsen gets up in the middle of this match and literally just logs off his computer, like just stands up, logs off, right? And and walks away. 
further suggesting the fact that there's fishiness going on. Now, for the record, this guy Hans Niemann has actually been barred from some online forums for previously cheating. So he's sort of on record for cheating. He's apologized. He said, I should have never done it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, initially, I was courage for, um, you know, with, uh, with Magnus. If, you know, if he believes that he's being cheated and wants to suggest that, maybe that's the reason he lost without actually naming this guy a cheater. Maybe that's the gentlemanly thing to do is just say, hey, you know what? Take a look at this, but I'm not going to tell you he's cheating, but he is. Now, but the second time that it's happened and he just logs off his computer, not only does he look like a little bit like potentially he just might be a sore loser who's getting bested by somebody. And it does happen in the world of sports. And I don't know if chess is a sport, but it's close where where you just run across as good as you are. You just run across a guy who's got your number. And this guy just may have his number. Who knows? You know what I mean? And he just may may beat him. So now he's looking a little bit like a sore loser. And number two, he's not come out and said what the issue is. So after so many of these instances, you got to say like, wait a minute, now you're holding back something from me, right? Or at least make a complaint, make an actual step out into the world and say, hey, I really think this is what's going on. Have the courage of your convictions. So initially I was a courage, but now I'm a cringe on Magnus Carlson. Still think he's a phenomenal genius and everybody should watch the documentary. I forget where it's at that tells his story. But um, but that's my uh, courage slash cringe for the week. I love that. I, I literally have nothing to respond to that. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's very inside, uh, inside chess. That's inside chess. And it makes me want to go play some chess right now. So beautiful. I don't ha- I don't have a courage. I don't have a courage or cringe for this. So I should have been more prepared for that. But other than other than um, I would say that the Pola Cortura campaign is a courage, not a cringe. Very good. Nice. Look at that. <laughs> throwing, throwing a plug at the end. I like that. Oh, yeah. You like that one, right? <laughs> I love it. Hav, so thanks again for joining us, brother. We appreciate you coming on board and, uh, you know, continue doing the good work and fighting the good fight that you've been fighting for a very long time. Uh, to get folks out there to recognize uh, the power and opportunity that resides in the Latino community for that. We're very, very grateful. And if you're listening to our voices, I'm going to invite you to subscribe to the show, to really share this show. Uh, we rebranded. This is episode nine after our rebrand to Unsiloed. We hope you're enjoying the conversation, but it only matters if you share it, if you talk to other people about it, if you get it out there in the world. Uh, and hopefully this helps um, you know, create a little bit more light rather than heat, which the whole world needs. So we appreciate it, and uh, we encourage you to continue to live a life unsiloed. We'll see you again next week. Bye. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.